The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your kingdom that you have prepared for us. We thank you that we can look to you and we don't have to continue looking back. Father, I pray that you are honored this morning in your word. And I pray that you give us a better understanding of how you think, what you think about us, and how we are to live because of that. We thank you and praise you this morning. In your son's name, amen. So this morning we continue our sermon series in The Kingdom, Rediscover Your Ultimate Allegiance. And we are currently, as of today, two months in. And we have talked about various aspects of the kingdom and pieces of the kingdom. And for anyone that's following along, last week we talked about the kingdom in daily life. And we learned together that the things that we enjoy say something about our lives. The kingdom includes, and every time this is brought up, this is always like a, oh yeah, it matters. Money, eating, and clothing. We learn that if we seek God and his kingdom, these other things fall into place and become means of honoring him. And this week, we are going to talk about desiring the kingdom. But before we do that, we're going to read our intro together. You are made to be part of something bigger than yourself. Something bigger than any job or hobby or political party or even your own family. God made you first and foremost to be a part of his family and his kingdom. God's kingdom is your ultimate allegiance. When you understand the good news of the kingdom and become a child of God, everything else finds its right and healthy place in your life. In this sermon series, we invite you to see the kingdom of God and submit yourself completely to the life-giving authority of King Jesus. When Susanna and I were preparing to get married back in 2007, that wasn't that long ago, I remember that we had to do premarital counseling with a local pastor. And this was a man that I deeply respect. I remember there were assignments where we were asked a question, and then we would have to go home and think through that question, and then write out our thoughts, you know, apart from each other, and then come back together before the pastor and talk about it. The first assignment, this one should not surprise you, was to write out why we were desiring to be married in the first place. The second assignment was to dream up our best God-honoring home life. So what would this look like for us in relationship together? And then the next assignment was to go home and think through what it was we desired for our family or what our desires for our future family would be like. Some of those things were 
for our children to love Jesus, to have regular family devotions, to take a regular family vacation together, to have family meals together. And as we laid out the trajectory of our family, these were the true desires of our heart. And I want you to hear this from me. In no way were we and are we perfect. And as these memories came back this week as I was preparing, I looked at Susanna and I said, you know, we should probably sit down and talk about these things again and set out some new plans for our family as of where we are now. That's okay. That was some epic music for that moment. The idea that I wanted you to start thinking about this morning is desires. For some of us, desires for our family is what comes to mind because we have little children. And for others of us, it might be where you live in beautifying your local area. And maybe even for others, it's how you're going to spend your retirement now that you do not work. But what I want you to think about is what is it in life that you desire most? Do you desire an ability or a skill? Do you desire a big family? A big house? A promotion? Being or feeling loved? Forgiveness from a friend? Recognition at home or in your job? The latest toys that our world tells you that you need, not that you want, that you need. Every commercial tells you that what they're selling is something you need. And then we're so quick because we need it to pay out, right? Wealth or having a lot of money or unlimited resources. Sometimes it's one of these things. Sometimes it's all of these things, if we're honest. Or maybe you don't resonate with any of this, but what about those moments where you're having a conversation and you have that moment where you say, but if only, because there are a lot of if only statements that I think if we were having conversations with our friends or our neighbors or the people in our lives, we would realize what those are. And they say a lot about us. Sorry about that. If only I could leave my job and do what I am truly passionate about. If only I had that new car if only I could afford a house payment because five kids in a two-bedroom apartment just isn't cutting it. If only my husband or wife heard the cries of my heart. If only my neighbor would quit complaining about my yard and help me fix it. That one hits deep, okay? <laughs> my neighbor, Jana, came to my house and said that my dandelion overgrowth was insane. And I'm just like holding on for dear life, right? And I'm like, Jen, I'm trying my hardest here, okay? Like, I wanted to cry, but help was never offered either. Man, it hurts. So if only I had enough money to pay for my rent or house payment and groceries, if only the friend or relative would accept my apology and help me become the person that they need to be. Man, our world is not a forgiving place, is it? We get labeled by things all the time, don't we? And a lot of times, even our church adopts stuff like that. That wasn't a political statement, so if anybody is going to accuse me of that, we can talk later. I'm not a political person like that. Can you relate to that? We all have desires. And these desires, whether born out of joy or struggle, 
are there. As a matter of fact, those desires say something about us. And if someone were to approach you today and ask you if they could write a biography based on your life, what would it say that you desire the most? Would you enjoy the story? Or are you hoping that editors would make a lot of edits before it hit the press? And if I were honest, most of the time I am searching for a delete button in life because I'm so easily distracted and I don't like everything that what I have done or said has done about my life or said about who I am. And I easily forget what's most important. And that's what we're going to talk about today in Desiring the Kingdom. So the big question that I want you to ask yourself this morning is, what does the biography of my life say about what I desire most? And then the big idea that our desires are best formed when we are focused on the kingdom and the king of the kingdom. Today we find ourselves in the New Testament, and we are specifically going to be looking at the book of Hebrews. I think if we pay attention to this passage here in Hebrews, that we will see what it looks like to truly desire the kingdom. So let's go ahead and take a look at it together. All these people, starting in verse 13, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcome them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Isn't that cool? Let's look at 15. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have opportunity to return. And I don't talk about this in my sermon at all, but it just kind of reminded me about how the people when they were in Egypt were remembering their slavery. They were looking back. Wasn't that a hurdle or a hindrance to them moving forward okay let's let's keep going instead they were longing for a better country a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared a city for them and this whole passage just culminates or is brought together by verse 16 instead they were longing for a better country a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And before we start looking at our big idea, I want to show you a few things to help you just really enjoy this passage, because we have three really powerful verses, and they actually say quite a bit. The first thing I want to point out is that in this passage, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And the first thing that I wanted you to think about was like, who are these people? Right? And if you were to look through Hebrews 11, this is what we call the hall of faith, right? We see Abel and Enoch and Rahab and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, and the list goes on, right? It's kind of a motley crew of different people different circumstances and different stories, yet they all had something in common. And what was that? These people were living by faith. So as a matter of fact, before each of their names is mentioned in this chapter, it says, by faith. However, we need to know what faith means here. If you were to jump up to this same chapter, to verse 1, 
we get a slightly better definition because it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I think out of context, someone could read Hebrews 11, 1 and say, yep, there are a lot of things that we put our faith in. We hope for a lot of things that we don't see, right? Because there's a lot of things that we're waiting to be actualized. However, let's stay in Hebrews and let's flip over to Hebrews 3.6 because I think this helps us in our understanding of what it's talking about. It says, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. This here says, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. That's what, the, that's what the translation I have renders. So what is the courage and hope of which we boast? It's Christ living inside of us, us being his house. It's our faith in God through Jesus that he died and rose and secured our eternity. It's this promise that we received. Now this can seem a little awkward because if we were to flip back to Hebrews 11 and we look through that hall of faith again, we're going to say... There's something that stands out to all of us. And that is that none of those people were alive for when Jesus came in the flesh and dwelt among us. So what I didn't just say was that Jesus wasn't alive because he was there from the beginning. So I don't want anyone to leave here and think that his birth was the start of his life. His life had started at the beginning with God. Okay? The second part of that I want you to notice is that these people were living by faith. So these people died in their faith. They were sure of the promise that God had given them, and they welcomed the promise from a distance, but had not considered themselves residents of earth. How did they welcome the the promise from a distance? By faith. It's this incredible idea that they hadn't experienced what they were desiring most, but they had faith that God would fulfill that promise, and they would experience the joy of the kingdom. It brought to mind almost immediately the words of Jesus to Thomas. Do you remember when Thomas saw Jesus after Jesus had died and resurrected and came back to earth when he said, I want to see your hands, I want to see your feet, I want to touch your side because I want to know it's real. And of course he believed after he did that, right? Because he didn't have anything else he could do but believe. But how does Jesus respond to him? And this is what I think. This is similar, right? It says, Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's that faith. Incredible. So blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What a word of encouragement for those that have gone before us for that hall of faith. So let's look at the big idea now, and we're going to kind of bullet point through a few things. Our desires are best formed when we are focused on the kingdom and the king of the kingdom. The first thing I want you to think of today when you think of desiring the kingdom is that true longing requires faith. What is longing? It's an intense desire for something or for something to happen. I think a lot of times, if you're like me, the idea of longing seems laborious and scary. Did I say that word right? Laborious? Why? Because we realize that what we are hoping for more often than not doesn't happen overnight. There will probably be some waiting required. We are very impatient people. Don't we like 
quick fixes or easy solutions? Didn't we invent duct tape? That's why if you get on YouTube, you can find a five-minute tutorial for literally anything. Just a few months ago, I looked up how to spool and start a weed whacker. For any of you guys that know how to do that, can you forgive me for that? <laughs> That's not my strong suit, okay? Instead of wrestling with what our circumstances providing, we generally want the easiest and most convenient answer. And while this can work in some situations, this kind of longing requires more from us. What we learn from these verses is that longing requires faith. For example, the story of Abraham. If you remember Abraham, he's the father of our faith. His story requires faith. God appears to Abraham. Abraham, more than likely, was in the thick of idol worship as his father was in the land of Ur of the Chaldees. However, God appears to Abraham and tells him that he has a plan for him. God tells Abraham that he is Abraham's God and that he was going to bring him out of the land of his ancestors and place him in a new land. A land that is specifically for him and his descendants. Not only was he going to give him a new land, but he was going to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. That's the end of the story, right? Absolutely not. It wasn't a short tutorial. So there was even a stop along the way. If you remember, they spent an entire year in Haran before they made it to the promised land. Now, what do you think Abraham did in that year? A year is a long time. We don't think it is because we're like a whole year flies by fast, but it really is. It's a lot of days. What do you think his thoughts might have been? You think he thinks like we would have thought? Is this still part of your plan? Where are you taking me? He didn't know where he was going. How come my son hasn't been born to me yet? Is this promise still worth following? I need to send out a lifeline. That would be us today. We need to phone a friend. We need to text somebody. We need to reach out, right? Also, remember that while Abraham is setting out, fear begins to set in. Do you remember when he told the people in this new land that Sarah was his sister so that he wouldn't be killed? Or maybe you remember that Abraham and Sarah got tired of waiting and then they planned to have a kid with the help of Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, because they thought they could speed up the process that God was bringing them through. We are a lot like Abraham and Sarah. However, realizing the issues, what they did, right? They realigned with God's plan, and God delivers a son to Abraham to preserve his line. That son was Isaac. The promise was taking place. This took faith even in the mess because, as I said earlier, we often look for an easy fix, and sometimes what we are longing for doesn't come overnight. Do we long in our waiting for the kingdom? Are we focused on God during these times, the times of waiting, the times of longing? Have we created ways to try to speed up the process in our lives? Or have we recognized that longing requires faith, and that's a sweet spot for us in our hustle and bustle of life? It made me think of this example in my own family. I love putting Susanna on the spot, because this involves the adoption of our son Samuel. I never thought we were going to adopt a child. We had two children of our own, and in my mind, 
Maybe I would have more and maybe I wouldn't. It wasn't pressing, nor was it at the top of my agenda. I was content in the life that I was living. However, two people approached my wife about their child staying with us because they wanted him to be saved. I wasn't completely on board at this point. My thoughts were, sure, for a few months he'll stay with us, and then when you guys are stable, you'll take him back. I even created a plan and a step-by-step process of how that would happen. I even presented it to him. I was even willing to work alongside them. My wife, a woman of serious prayer, she has always been a person of prayer. Okay, that is something I can always say about my wife that I'm proud of. There's a lot of things I'm proud of. But that is one thing that I can remember off the top of my head from the moment I've met her that she's always been a person of prayer. She came to me one night and said, I believe God wants us to adopt this child. I told her, no, I don't think so. (laughs) That's not how this works. I tossed out this idea time and time again to her. And she even started to feel as though I wasn't hearing from God. Or maybe she wasn't hearing from God. It actually hurt her that I wouldn't listen. On top of my wife's thoughts, Samuel was actually in the care of another woman at this time who had legal papers saying that she was his guardian. He was in a less than ideal situation as there was some domestic stuff going on in that home. There were so many obstacles that in my mind this door was shut. Susanna, however, was confident. So she trusted what God was saying and she kept praying about it. We'll come to find out the documents that this lady had were not fully filled out correctly. She was also making it impossible for his biological parents to see him, so we decided to go and inquire on it. By the end of that week, a judge had placed this child in our care, a seven-day time period. Isn't that insane? He had a different guardian. That was incredible to me. That's really insane. In my mind, we were going to care for this child, and still, we're going to give him back. That's the plan. It's not to keep the child. But within the next week, something's happened between the parents, and it left Samuel in a very unsafe place. So we went and filed another petition that the visits would be supervised. This was also granted immediately, which was another surprise for me. We then began to hear from his birth parents less and less and less. Susanna persistently approached this matter in prayer, and I agreed to look into it. Another interesting fact is that my son is native. I'm not sure if you know what that means in an adoption process. But it means that we have to go through the proper channels to see that if he is one registered and two, that no one is going to claim him because the native tribes like to keep native children with native parents. I continued going along for the ride and we started working with a lawyer and we had to go through 28 tribes and 11 different bureaus, all that came back saying he's free to adopt. No one was claiming him, and this is still just insane to me. So somewhere in this mix of all this stuff going on, and as we're going through each one of these pieces, God, as clear as a sunny day, says to me, ask his parents to adopt him. I was like, what? So my wife had been longing for several years, and when the pandemic hit, our lawyers became almost non-existent. So I reached out, and after weeks of communication, both parents signed over their rights. Now what do we do? A lady comes to our house and visits, asks us a few questions. 
And we were really stressing about it. And then as we were finishing up this meeting, she says to me, now we just need to get you in front of a judge, make sure you know what you're doing, and you guys will adopt him. That's the last step. And you're going to be his parents for the rest of his life. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) I was left in one of those weird biblical moments where I had to admit that her faith was much greater than mine. Her longing and trust produced the desires of what God had placed on her heart. It even changed mine completely. In many ways, this should be our approach to our desire of the kingdom. Because that's a promise that he's given us, and we should hold to the truth of that and continue to seek after that, to long for it, to desire it, even if it seems like it's so far away. I was reminded by a friend this week of Psalm 107, 8 through 9. It says, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Do we thank God for these moments of deep longing and rely on him? Does our trust weaken or do we continue to seek? Do we seek him as water and nourishment for our longing souls? And listen to the response that he's going to satisfy you when you seek him in that way. Do we long for the kingdom in the way Susanna longed to see the truth of what God had told her? I thought she was crazy. Does our longing for the kingdom develop into a deep praying faith, trusting God and his promise for our future? Something remarkable about Abraham's story is that he didn't live to receive the promise, but confidently longed in great faith that it would become true. Look at Hebrews eleven thirty nine through 40. It says, These were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that together with us they would be made perfect. How sweet will that day be when we get to celebrate with them in the kingdom? Isn't that incredible that they're still waiting? The second thing that I want you to notice this morning is that we have to give something in order to receive what we are longing for. Look at verse 15, Hebrews eleven fifteen. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. And I kind of mentioned that earlier, right, just shortly. But it's that forward motion, that ability to continue moving forward. This reminds me of a statement my father says to me from time to time that I rarely listen to or abide by. You can't move forward by looking in the rearview mirror. Can anyone relate to that? There are so many things that are going to try to keep us looking in the rearview mirror instead of at the kingdom. And when we came to Jesus, if you guys remember, in 1 Thessalonians, it says that we became a new creation. That means that there is a newness of life. Who we were and what we have done has died with that person. We don't have to hold on to the past. That's one of my greatest sins. I hold it. It's funny because instead of continuing forward, a lot of times we linger in the past through the things that threaten our forward motion. Remember Abraham, how he jumped the gun with Sarah? They tried to make a different path and God corrected it. And it's what Abraham did after that that continued the forward moving motion. Because what we don't see in this story is Abraham running back to Ur of the Chaldees, back to idol worship in the old land. We don't see that. Right? When he gets called out for the lie, he does repeat that, right? While he had struggles along the way, he does not head back. 
And he never declares himself a resident of the land that he finds himself in, not even the promised land. And we see that in scripture. He was never a resident of this earth. I mean, he never found that to be his security. And I'm going to show you where that says that. So when Abraham's wife dies, Sarah, when she dies, he goes to a place to ask for burial, a burial spot for her. And if you look at Genesis 23, 4, this is his response. And I want you to know that he's in Canaan. Nope. That wasn't it. Okay, I'm just going to read it. So I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. This was the land that God was giving him, yet it wasn't his home. Isn't that incredible? Take some careful reading there. Abraham was giving up his life of comfort to a life of God's leading. He went from a safe home to the wilderness, living in tents, as did his son Isaac and his son Jacob. It was Abraham's hope that by going to that tent, that one day he would trade that in for permanent dwelling in the kingdom. To receive the kingdom, what we are longing for, it often times requires us to give something up. And this brought back a very painful memory for me. So please bear with me as I become extremely vulnerable with you. I used to book concerts as a local promoter. And this is a person who puts together lineups and then creates an event and flyers to promote their event. I was pretty successful over a period of 10 years by music standards. I had probably booked over 1,000 concerts all over our city and even some outside in Pierce County. That's not an exaggeration. I could probably give you an exact count if I went and counted flyers. I worked with bands on record labels, on shows in Washington. I routed tours for bands as they traveled nationally, and I even worked with several international bands that came through here and played in our state. The bands I worked with represented countries ranging from Austria, Australia, Brazil, England, Canada, Italy, Japan, Mexico, Singapore, South Korea, and Sweden. I'm actually thanked in several um, bands' albums that are on record labels that you could find at like Hot Topic or even in FYE. In the underground music scene, my name was fairly sizable and anyone who was anyone knew who I was. I was the guy that got the pat on the back, and I was their boy Jacob who booked in Washington. Anyone who was anyone played for me. I had gotten good at My identity was so wrapped up in it. It would take me five minutes to put a show together. I started to believe that that was who I was and that I was going to go to the top. I wanted the accolades. I wanted to be important. I wanted the acceptance. I wanted to be the guy of every person. However, while I was climbing these steps... Just like Abraham and Sarah, I was forging my own path and trying to do it my way. My ego kept growing. Also growing was pain and tension at home. This is vulnerable, guys. My wife felt neglected. My children wondered why I couldn't just stay home, and God sometimes felt more like an add-on than my God. And then the pandemic hit. God used the pandemic to save my world. The pandemic closed music venues. 
when music venues closed, God slowed me down and he showed me who he wanted to be and who I had made myself in my own power. One night while lying next to my wife, I told her that I was sorry. That I was sorry for the many nights that she spent alone as I ran the other business that I thought was more valuable than anything I had ever experienced. I apologized for not giving her the attention she deserved and how I wanted changes to take place in our home. It was that night that I quit. I can tell you, as I wrote this sermon, I was sitting on the edge of my bed crying, and I talked to my wife, and I told her, it doesn't hurt to not do it, it hurts that I hurt you. She was a gift from God. The music scene wasn't, okay? She didn't believe me. She was waiting for that next moment when I would say, oh, I booked this show, but I didn't. I stopped. I gave up the idea of leading the accolades. I gave up the idea of needing to be important by those worldly standards. What would be the whole point of gaining this whole world and lose your soul in the process? I apologize to several people I've hurt, and every once in a while, a new person comes to mind, but I had to give up this life that I had created for myself for what is so much richer Paul says in the New Testament that he counts everything as rubbish as compared to knowing Christ. In comparison to the kingdom that we are desiring, that we should be seeking, everything cool I've ever done means nothing. What I needed to do was to return to a longing that required faith and to give up anything that was going to keep me from desiring the kingdom that God has in store for me. We can't move forward by looking back. Yes, I lost sight of what I was doing, but when I saw Christ for who he was and what I placed in front of him, I was able to say, I don't care about any of those things. I just want you, and I want your kingdom, Jesus. That's what I want, and that's what we all should want. It's been over a year now since I retired booking, for those that didn't know. I've made great strides in not being addicted to my phone. I'm present in more conversations. Scarlett told Susanna the other night that I really started to notice her. I have family movie nights. I play games with my kids. I go to bed more often than not with my wife. I go on spontaneous dates. Even crazier was that Susanna had begun working at a salon because she wanted to go back to work, and that job and my job at Coffee Oasis make more than my job and the music scene did together. This isn't to point out monetary value. It's pointing out that I never would have kept moving forward if I wasn't willing to give up what was keeping me from the kingdom. What did I lose? Nothing. I lost nothing. My joy is finally restored to the kingdom. Has God called you like Abraham to give up your comfort in order to receive the kingdom that he has created for you? Have you noticed, like I did, that there are things that are trying to block your view of the kingdom and what God values? If so, there's hope for you today. Identify those things and give them up for the ultimate value that you will only find in this permanent kingdom that God has for you. The better kingdom, the one that satisfies with no easy solutions, with no easy answer, the one worth placing your faith in and longing for. All right, our last point. It's this. The first thing I wanted you to notice was that true longing requires faith. The second thing I wanted you to notice was that oftentimes it will require giving something up in order to get what you are truly longing for. And third, I want you to notice it's more of a statement or a charge, and that's never lose sight of the kingdom. 
Remember, Abraham started to create out of his lack of longing, and I lost sight of the kingdom, building my own kingdom. So we have to do better. We have to keep the kingdom before us. And how do we do that? And I think that's where these last verses come into play. It's Hebrews eleven sixteen. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their father, for he has prepared a city for them. What we are ultimately longing for is something better. What came to mind was the children's movie, The Land Before Time. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Do you recall the five adventurous dinosaurs? Littlefoot, Ducky, Petrie, Sarah, and Spike? Tragedy had struck their dinosaur homeland and food became scarce. Along the way, Littlefoot's mom is killed in this epic battle against a monstrous T-Rex known as Sharptooth. The five dinosaurs are alienated from their families due to a great divide, and so they set out in search of the Great Valley. The Great Valley is a place with luscious streams and all the tree stars you can eat, which those are leaves. Did anybody else want to eat a tree star from that? I mean, I wanted to eat a tree star. Okay, everything that they needed for life satisfaction is found in the Great Valley. They just need to find it. These thoughts are ingrained in us from a very young age, right? To realize what is wrong and then to search for what is better. We look into all sorts of things, affordability, when we're looking for a place to settle or to call our own, right? Affordability, closeness to resources, what gas stations and stores are near us, clean and quiet environments, good local political systems, land to enjoy with our spouse and children, local offerings and programs to be a part of, nearby schools with quality education programs. We long for what's better, so we are constantly on a quest like those five adventurous dinosaurs, right? Looking for what gives us the satisfaction of our lives. However, while all these things are great and wonderful, and we receive much joy from most of the things that we're seeking, they come from this even greater longing of a kingdom that doesn't need to be better because it is better. The kingdom we are ultimately longing for is a kingdom that cannot fade away or wither, that doesn't require us to live in tents, but has walls and foundations that are set because the builder knows exactly what we need and the amount that is needed for our dwelling. In my study of this passage, it was brought to my attention that I had preached on something similar before, and that was this coming kingdom, and it gave me quite a reminder of what we truly are longing for. It's the same thing that drove Abraham into a tent, the idea that one day he could throw away this tent for permanent dwelling. The reason Abraham was never completely settled here on earth is because it says in Hebrews 11.10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He wanted the kingdom that God had made for him. And what does that kingdom look like? The kingdom worth longing for. Revelations 21, 1 through 2 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. A holy city. What is that city like? And if you read Revelation 21, 9 through 
24, you get this idea. The great foundations that are tall, its framework is laid with precious stones. Its gates are beautiful. It's not only physical appeal, physically appealing, but it's a place for the people of God to have unlimited access to the Father. There is no more need of a temple to serve God because God and the Lamb, which is Jesus, are the temple. The doors of the kingdom will never be shut. You can come and go as you please, but you're not going to want to leave, guys. You don't have to worry about anyone taking anything from you. It's given in abundance here. It's for you. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone that is deceitful or shameful. Everyone will treat everyone fairly, and we will all live in light with one another. Kind of like what I was doing today, living in the light. We don't have to hide, guys. Did I forget to mention there will be no need for a sun or a moon because God's glory will be the light and the lamp, Jesus, will be the lamp that is our light. Can you just imagine a world where you can physically be with God and have unlimited access to him? Is that not a better kingdom? Is that not a country worth longing for that we should desire? And even more so, if we long for this better kingdom, God will not be ashamed to be called our God. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your kingdom. He made this for you. So how do we be people who do not lose sight of the kingdom? I'm going to tell you, it's not by being good people who do kind things. I fear sometimes we're just good people doing kind things. We want to be people who see what Jesus does and imitate that in our daily practice. We are to imitate Jesus as he's imitating the Father. When we look like him, we are giving glimpses of this kingdom to those around us. And we are placing value on the king of that kingdom publicly. Further, this will bring attention to his kingdom and his greatness. The more we do that, the more his kingdom is right there in front of us. So what do we do with this information this morning? One, I want you to view longing as a sweet place. Stop looking for easy fixes and inquire of your father. Create moments to spend time with God. If you feel that you are not experiencing a promise or that you are not living in what you believe he is saying to you, keep praying. Don't give up on that. Be like Susanna, even if your husband or anyone else thinks you're crazy. Stop looking in the rearview mirror. That's the second thing I want you to do. This is hard for me because I have to put things in my mind to remind myself not to look back because it's so easy to look back. Also, if something in your life is getting louder and Jesus seems to be a small echo that keeps getting quieter and quieter, that thing probably has to leave. So figure out what that is and move it. Because you want to consider all things as rubbish to knowing the great king and his magnificent kingdom. The last thing I want you to do is don't just focus on the kingdom. Focus on the king. Become like Jesus. There are many people who are still searching for the kingdom. And it might be the Jesus that they see in you. That shows them what they have been longing for most. Look forward the last thing I want you to do is to look forward to the day when we get to celebrate with Abraham, Enoch, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, Rahab, and Sarah. How sweet will that be when we celebrate with them in the kingdom? If people were to look at your life and write a biography, what would it say you desire the most? Are you in it for a quick fix or are you wanting to grow in faith, which will increase your deep longing? 
Are you willing to give up something in order to get what you have always wanted? Will you keep the kingdom in your line of sight? Our desires become most formed when our focus is on the kingdom and the king of the kingdom. Anything short of this will always leave us longing for better without any true satisfaction. Our satisfaction will be when we have received the kingdom we have longed for. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that you are incredibly patient with us. We thank you that you have given us a new name and you have made us your people. Teach us to look forward, Father. Teach us to love you above all things. Help us, God, never to lose sight of your kingdom and make that the true desire of our heart. In your son's name, amen.